Welcome back, everybody, to another episode of the Clutch Talk podcast. Last YouTube, YouTube slash we slash do, we it, do all. it all. As always, I am your host, John. Very happy to be here. My boy Jay Hiz over there in the six. How you doing, baby? Chilling, man. Chilling. I'm my grizzly, like I'm like I'm Jay Hill, man. I'm like I'm John. Man. <laughs> <laughs> yes, sir. You are your grizzly, man. But hey, let me holler at my boy over there in the seven one four. Junior, what's up, baby? What's going on, man? I'm excited. Get on to this Grizzly Talks, probably one of the most electrifying young teams in the league. Uh, I mean, I feel like every season it, they're 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 like everybody's second team. You know, they're like so no one dislikes the Grizzlies as far as I know. So excited to talk about them and just continue to see them grow. Man, you said it best. I am so excited to get into this Grizzlies episode, especially because of the amazing, amazing guests that we have on the show today, man. We have the site manager of the Grizzly Bear Blues, Joe Mullinax. Joe, we are so happy to have you on. I don't know if you want to introduce yourself to the fans. Talk a little bit about yourself. Sure. Well, you're, you're very kind. I really appreciate that. Um, uh, I'm Joe Mullinax. I'm the site manager of SB Nation's GrizzlyBearBlues.com. I've been doing this for far too long. I think I'm going into my fifth or sixth year. I can't even remember anymore uh, running the site. And, uh, you know, it, it's, it's been an interesting rise uh, up the, the blogger ranks. I was a commenter over at GBB uh, years ago, a decade ago now. And, um, you know, just kind of went up from being a writer to a podcaster and writer to the, the guy that runs the site. And, you know, we have a staff of about 15 writers over there now. And, you know, I'm very proud of the team we built over at grizzlybearblues.com. I think we got a lot of talented folks. And, you know, uh, in my day job, I am a high school football coach. So I'm in my busiest time of the year and I haven't written as much lately. Uh, but thankfully, the team, you know, Parker Fleming, Brandon Abraham, you know, Nate Chester, Justin Lewis, Sean Coleman. I've got lots of folks that I could go up and down the list that have kind of carried my dead weight for the last month or so. But, you know, I looked up and the off season's over, you know, we're three weeks away from yeah. preseason opening and it's time to get back into Grizzlies talk. So I'm excited to do that with you guys. Exactly. man. We're, we're, we got some great Grizzlies talk to get, to get into today. And Joe, don't, don't, don't undercut yourself, man. You got some great work on those <laughs> articles, man. We'll, 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 we'll talk about that. We'll go ahead sure. and get into that, man. But Joe, you know, the first question that we'd love to start off uh, these fan series with is Joe, as a Grizzlies fan, are you content with the way the year went? Yes, I am. And maybe that is not the right answer for most Grizzlies fans, because, you know, I think folks very often, you know, have a championship or bust mentality or, you know, maybe not a championship, but, you know, you make the playoffs, you want to compete, you want to get to the second round. And I'm just very aware of where this team is. You know, their best player is John Morant and he's 22 years old. How many NBA teams have won the championship with their best player being a 22 year old? Not many, if any. So if you're looking at it through that lens and you understand that even though they are competing as a playoff team that or a play-in team that won the play-in and made the playoffs, they're not going to get much beyond that in the here and now because their best player is 22 years old. Their second best player is 22 years old. And Jaron Jackson Jr., he may not even be 22 yet. He might still be 21. Um, I, I think he has a September, October birthday. But anyway, the, the fact remains their best players are, are young. Their best years are to come, and the Memphis Grizzlies are setting themselves up to be good when LeBron James is not around anymore. 
when Steph Curry is making $60 million as a 37-year-old point guard, when Kawhi Leonard is washed in theory, you know, father time is undefeated. And, you know, all these players are great and they're NBA title contenders now. But in the, you know, the next four years, what is the Western Conference going to look like? It's the Dallas Mavericks, the New Orleans Pelicans, and I would argue the Memphis Grizzlies. You know, those are the three teams that are going to be in that hunt to be the next Western Conference representative once the current guard is eliminated. And they are looking to that. And that is hard for fans to stomach. You know, the trade of Jonas Valanciunas for Steven Adams. You could easily argue the Grizzlies got worse. The selection of Zaire Williams. Uh, he's not ready to compete and be an NBA rotation player right now. He has a lot of work to do. But they have done things to put themselves in a position that if Zaire Williams hits in the next two years and he becomes the, a third star level player, the ceiling for the Grizzlies just went a lot higher. And that's a lot higher of a ceiling than they would have had if they held on to Jonas Valanciunas. So everything that Zach Kleiman, the GM of the Grizzlies in that front office does is with an eye to a time that is two or three years down the road. And in our instant gratification society, that is not something that people stomach very well. But if you right. understand that John ja Morant is young and Jaron Jackson Jr. is young and you better believe that especially Jaw is in this conversation with this front office in terms of the moves that they're making. As long as John ja Morant is cool with it, if you're going to build a championship team in Memphis, Tennessee, it's through the NBA draft and it's through trades. It's not through free agency. And it takes time to build a team in that way. And that's where they are. They're, if they make the playoffs, that's awesome. They're not going to actively be as bad as they can be. But they're also not going to sacrifice the future for the here and now. And I think that can be frustrating at times, but it can also be, you know, satisfying in a way that you can truly just enjoy watching a young team learn and grow and develop together. Yeah, you, you, you know, Joe, all the questions that we've asked to, for all the fans for these team interviews, we always ask, you know, are you content with how the year went? And I have to be honest, like that was the best answer because most people say, say no, say no, I'm, I'm not content. No, I'm not content because we didn't win a championship. But for you to have that lens on that, I, I understand that my best player is 22 and 21. We aren't expected to win a championship right now. And for what we did, I'm very happy. So, you know, I like for you to even have that lens, you know, shows, shows your knowledge on, show your, your knowledge on the game. And that, 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 that's big, but a question that. And I, in fairness, sorry to cut you off. In fairness, I used to have that same lens in fairness to fans that, oh, you got to try to win a championship. You got to try to win a championship. You got to try to win a championship. But the core four Grizzlies changed my perspective on that. You know, were the core four Grizzlies a failure because Zach Randolph and Tony Allen and Mike Conley and Marcus All didn't win an NBA championship? Of course they weren't. They were, that was one of the most fun experiences I've ever had in sports, period, following that team, much less, you know, as a fan. You know, I, I'm actively in sports my entire life. And I would rank that grit and grind Grizzlies run as one of my favorite sports memories in my entire sports centered life. So of course it wasn't a failure that they didn't win a championship. Only one team can win the title. It's about the journey that you go on and, and the way that that team grows and develops. And, and I think that your goal is to win a title, especially in professional sports, but especially in a city like Memphis, if you don't enjoy the story, if you don't enjoy the, the process of, getting to know those players and watching them develop and watching to them, you know, become, you know, especially in the case of John Morant, 
you know, becoming a father in the city and, you know, becoming a, a, a fully grown man. You know, he was 19 when he arrived. Uh, I, I think that there's, there's things that we kind of lose in the weeds of searching for a championship. And the core four Grizzlies really brought that through for me. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, you know, uh, you you talk about the, the journey of, uh, of the season and, and how that, how that's so important. And that I actually want to touch on that. I want to, I want to touch on the journey that, uh, that the Grizzlies just had this, uh, this past season. And that was you guys landing the eighth seed and for the play in tournament, you guys beat two teams with tons of playoff experience in the Spurs and the Warriors, which honestly is hats off to, to, to you guys, because like how you said in the beginning of this pod, like, your best players are 21 and 22. So clearly not much experience, let alone playoff experience. And you go and you guys go in and you guys are able to handle a team like the Warriors, to handle a team uh, like the Spurs. And then you guys go on to face the number one to see the Utah Jazz, which leads me right to my next question. And my still next get it to them for one game too. And still, exactly. <laughs> yeah. and still get Without it to- Donovan Mitchell, we have to be fair, without Donovan Mitchell. <laughs> so, so that, and that's exactly my next question to you. You know, Joe, um, the word around the NBA when you guys were playing the Jazz or before the season, the series started was the Grizzlies might upset them because the Jazz aren't the real number one seed because, you know, COVID, a lot of people didn't really believe in the Jazz. Uh, Donovan Mitchell had had his injury, like how you mentioned. But I want to know from a Grizzlies fan, like, how did you feel coming into that series? Did you feel confident or did you know in the back of your head, like, hey, man, like, <laughs> I don't think it's this is it. I had jazz in sixth, I believe. And, you know, obviously it wound up being jazz in five. The Grizzlies weren't in a position to compete with a fully healthy Utah jazz team. Like that was a really good Utah jazz team. Mike Conley was the third best player on that team and he was an all-star, you know? So I, I think that, and obviously Grizzlies fans are very familiar with what Mike Conley is capable of. So I think that it was realistic to say they were going to win at least one game because again, Mitchell's health was, a question and you had to look at the reality of the Grizzlies playing really well. You know, you, you can't discount the, the value of momentum, especially for a young team. And I think that that really helped them in that first game, along with the absence of Mitchell, but the jazz were the superior team. And usually in a seven game series, the best team wins. So that's exactly how it played out. And again, some folks might've been disappointed, I was just thrilled that they got there. You know, they were the first team in NBA history to win the play-in tournament, essentially, because they were the nine seed. In a normal year, the Memphis Grizzlies wouldn't have made the playoffs, but they were the first team to take advantage of that nine-seed opportunity and and sneak in. And, you know, that they, again, are one of the youngest teams in the NBA. So that was invaluable experience. You know, those are well-worn scars, well-earned scars, uh, in postseason play that are going to pay off as the team tries to be more competitive in the future in the years to come. Definitely, definitely. So, so you know, Joe, Joe let's let's start to transition onto you know one of the most recent uh, news over there in, in Memphis, and that's and that's the huge three team trade between you guys, the Pelicans, and the Hornets, which landed you guys Stephen Adams and Eric Bledsoe, and like how you mentioned the, the draft rights to Zaire Williams at at the tenth pick. But you guys had to give up the monster in Jonas Valanciunas, and I read I read your article on on who you think won the won the trade, and I, I absolutely agree with you, Joe. I think that as of right now, this is more of a downgrade for the Grizzlies because Jonas Valanciunas is the best player in this in in this trade. But you can make an argument that the Grizzlies planning for the future. Um, it, it is them winning in in this trade because like how you said they understand that 
their best players are 21 and 22. So let's just plan for the future. There's no point of going against the Lakers. We're not going to beat the Lakers right now. We're, we're not going to beat a Nuggets right now. So my question to you, Joe, is for someone that would say, no, the Pelicans won the trade, what would you say to that? It depends. Uh, we talked about lenses earlier, right? It depends on the lens you look at it through. The Jonas Valanciunas is a better basketball player than Steven Adams. Anybody who tries to say that he's not is wrong. Uh, Jonas is a better player. But again, Zaire Williams raises the ceiling for the Grizzlies. If he hits, he, he could flame out. He may not be any good. That's possible. Clearly, the Grizzlies don't think that's the case, and they thought it was worth losing out on the high floor of Jonas Valanciunas to take a swing at the fence for Zaire Williams. If Zaire Williams works, you know, he's that third star. He's that third key player that they have under team control for the next eight or nine years that they can build a championship contender around. And you weren't going to get that with Jonas Valanciunas. You know, Jonas Valanciunas, as your second best player, that's a team that probably is the eighth seed in the Western Conference. And that's not a bad thing, especially if you are the New Orleans Pelicans, who is feeling pressure to win now. And I think that that's an underrated part of this that people don't talk about, or maybe not talk about as much. The Pelicans feel pressure to win now. You know, whether these Zion Williamson rumors are substantial or not, you know, they exist. And usually where there's smoke, there's at least a little bit of a flicker of flame. And there's a possibility that, you know, Zion's not happy. He wants them to compete. The Grizzlies are competing, doing exactly what they're doing. So John Morant does not have that same level of frustration. He doesn't have that same level of concern. Um in terms of being in the playoffs right now, because he's already seeing success with how this Grizzlies front office is doing things. So Zion hasn't had a chance to experience that yet. And I think they just different or they just have different perspectives on their organizations. And I don't necessarily think Zion's wrong. Again, like we talked about earlier, you, the, you play to win the game, like Herm Edwards once famously said. Uh, but the Grizzlies are able to do that with their eye on the future. So that keeps Jaw happy. The Pelicans have underachieved in the short time that Zion has been in New Orleans. He wants that to change. I think the Pelicans will make the playoffs this year. I think that they will likely take the place of the Memphis Grizzlies. I could see the Grizzlies making the play-in, but not making the playoffs. And if that happens, there's going to be a lot of pissed-off people in Memphis thinking that they lost the trade. But as you alluded to, it's not about right now. There doesn't always have to be a loser in trades. I think both teams have different views of where they are in terms of their current situations, and they both could win. The Pelicans can make the playoffs, and if they do with Jonas Valanciunas as their third or fourth best player, then it was a successful trade. If the Grizzlies get something out of Zaire Williams and he shows growth throughout the season, and maybe they miss out on the playoffs, but they have a lot of faith in what Zaire could be as that wing third man, then it was a successful trade for the Grizzlies and they have their eyes on a, a, a road that leads them further down than this season. So there's not necessarily a right or wrong and there's not necessarily a, a winner or a loser. It's about what is these, what do these teams value? The Grizzlies value the long view. The Pelicans want to be in the playoffs a little bit sooner, I think, or at least make a push to make it look like they're trying to do that. And acquiring Jonas Valanciunas does that. He is a up or an upgrade over Steven Adams. And for the Grizzlies, now they get to see what Jaron Jackson Jr. is made of. Now they get to see what this offense looks like without their security blanket 
that is Jonas Valanciunas. So in my opinion, it's a win-win. I don't think the Pelicans lost by any stretch, but I also think the Grizzlies won too because they have different perspectives on their current situations. So uh, let me ask you a question really quick, Joe. Um, as far as when you were talking about the playoffs, you did mention you have the Pelicans finishing over the, the, the Grizzlies this season. And is that a, a – where do you get this prediction from? Is it because you think – is it Zion versus Jaw? Is it the supporting cast? What, where do you where do you get the, the the Pelicans finishing ahead of the Grizzlies? Well, I think the Pelicans are going to be more motivated to do the things necessary to win now. Like uh, the Pelicans could give up first round picks, which they obviously have plenty right. from from, or at least maybe not as many as they used to, but they still have assets from the Anthony Davis trade. Uh, right. I think that they're going to be willing to part with things that will make them better in this next 12 months than the Grizzlies are, you know, okay. it's possible Memphis tries to swing for Bradley Beal or Ben Simmons or something like that. But I don't think that's in their time frame. Cause again, say Memphis trades for Ben Simmons and because they have the money and the picks to theoretically do that. And they are able to keep Jaron Jackson jr. In the process. So you got jaw Jaron, Ben Simmons. Wow. Cool. New big three. Where does that put Memphis in the Western conference? Five, probably six, maybe five, yeah, maybe six. Years it, or so. But you see my point. Yeah. Like, if your long-term goal is to be a championship contender, and if you look at twenty twenty-five Western Conference, Luca, of course, Zion, yeah, who's the third team? It's Memphis, in my yeah. opinion. Who else is there in terms of being set up for success in the long term? So, Joe, you talked about you know the Grizzlies and their future, and then the Pelicans and that deal. So let's talk about that a little bit more. So my question for you is, if the Grizzlies, you know, didn't make the playoffs this year and, and with Ja and his future and, you know, with Zion and the Pelicans not making the playoffs and there's talks, obviously, of Zion, you know, potentially leaving and not resigning, there's, you know, people in his ear about not resigning. Is Was that, you know, that deal to, you know, get, an upgrade in Valanciunas, was it kind of warranted and it was that were they kind of pressured into that deal um, in terms of, you know, the Grizzlies and their, their, you know, success in the playoffs, well, at least making it. And then in terms of the urgency that the Pelicans have. I could see that. And again, thankfully I'm not a Pelicans blogger. I'm sure Pelicans fans would agree with that, that they're glad I'm not a part of their community. Um, and I don't know Zion Williams and I've never met him and everything I have is the same reports that you guys are privy to. Uh, I think that Zion is a little bit frustrated that the team has not been as successful because they obviously have tried to be competitive. They signed Steven Adams. They signed Eric Bledsoe. They expected those signings to be a lot more successful than they were. And I think that that frustrates Zion to think, are, are they really going in the right direction? Do they know what they're doing? Whereas with the Grizzlies, there's not really a question in that regard. I think that Jaw has faith that they know what they're doing because they've had success from the beginning doing what they're doing. Now, again, your definition of success can be making the play in for two straight years, which is what Memphis has done. Is that success to LeBron's Los Angeles Lakers? Of course not. That's an abysmal disaster. If, if, if that happened to Kawhi and the Clippers or Giannis and the Bucks, you know, we would be talking about how those coaches need to be fired and the team needs to be blown up. But right. they're on different planes. They're on different uh, ways of viewing things in the here and now. And I, I think the Pelicans 
are tired of being the butt of the joke in terms of, oh, look at all these national games. Do they really deserve it? You know, are they really that good? Are they only there because Zion and the media obsession with them? I think that they feel the strain of Zion's stardom and they understand that they need to get better now. And that's exactly what they did. They did get better now. Like Zaire Williams wouldn't have helped them get better now. You know, Trey Murphy, in terms of providing a specific skill set as a three-point shooter, potentially versatile wing defender who can play the four a little bit, you know, the guy that they got with the 17th pick, he could potentially help them win more now as a end-of-rotation wing than Zaire Williams would. But Zaire Williams has the higher ceiling, and that's what the Grizzlies are interested in. They wanted the home run swing. So as an outsider on the Pelicans, I think that they had a desire to get better in realistic ways as best they could. Devontae Graham, Jonas Valanciunas coming in. I think they see those as realistic guys that they could have gotten for relatively cheap in terms of what they were willing to part with in terms of assets. And if they make the playoffs and they have a series against the Jazz or the Lakers, or can you imagine how ESPN would fall on over themselves if it's Zion versus LeBron in the first round? I mean, we, yeah. we would not hear about anything else for two weeks. So I think that that would appease Zion. I think he would see that their path is improving. The team's getting better in his eyes, and he would be more uh, happy to be a New Orleans Pelican. That doesn't really exist with Ja, that pressure. And, you know, you could talk about personality or the success that the team has had in the first couple of years that those guys have been in the league. And I think it's a combination of all of those factors. But you can't take away the pressure and the weight of having a player like Zion Williamson and the need to try to get better as soon as possible when it comes to that kind of a trade. Because the Pelicans did get better in the here and now. But is Trey Murphy going to be better than Zaire Williams if both players turn out the way they can? No. And, and now you're talking about long-term positioning as opposed to short-term fixes. I think Jonas Valanciunas is a shortcut to the playoffs. He helped the Grizzlies get to the playoffs, to his credit, and I think he's going to help the Pelicans get there too. But beyond that, I mean, I'm guessing you guys watched the Grizzlies-Jazz playoff series. Yeah. Jonas Valanciunas is not a playoff player. He, he's just not. He, he, he got picked on in that series time and time again, especially defensively. So there's a, there, again, there, there's a good floor. You know, you're a play, he's a good regular season player. He'll probably help New Orleans get to the playoffs. But if the Pelicans fans are expecting some miraculous run with Jonas Valanciunas as their third or fourth best player, they're, they're going to be disappointed. And I think the Grizzlies aren't worried about having that as their floor. They're looking to a higher ceiling. Yeah. Right, so, so ahead, you know, Joe, you mentioned uh, – so on the, the conversation and the topic of the future, you know, the Grizzlies obviously got rid of Jonas Valanciunas, who was one of their, you know, premier players this past season sure. and one of their starting uh, their starters. So on that conversation uh, with, with, you know, arguably two of their best defenders in Kyle Anderson at age 27 and then Dylan Brooks at age 25, what, what do you think about their future and are – if they're going – looking towards the future and building towards the future, what does that look like with the, those two players? Cause I've heard, you know, I've heard, I've read about rumors about them potentially being moved for, you know, and a bigger deal for a star player or, you know, getting assets. So what, what do you think of Kyle Anderson and Dylan Brooks, you know, two of your premier defenders for the future? 
Kyle Anderson getting traded would make more sense than Dylan Brooks simply because Kyle is an expiring contract. I think the Grizzlies value Kyle. I think Kyle had a most improved player esque. Obviously he didn't win the award and, and, you know, I think it was Julius Randle that won and he clearly deserved it. Uh, but, you know, Kyle Anderson was in the top 10 for that, in my opinion, in terms of how much better Kyle got, especially offensively. You know, Kyle's always been a pretty good defender, but Kyle Anderson, the score was a revelation last year compared to what he had been in the past. Um, but we have no idea what his contract's going to be. You know, how much is it going to cost to retain Kyle Anderson? 13 million, 14 million. Is that worth it for a team that, you know, again, Kyle is a veteran. Kyle is in the prime of his career. Does it make sense for Kyle Anderson to be on this roster long-term? I think you could argue both ways. You know, I don't know that I'm sold either way when it comes to Kyle. Uh, As far as Dylan, I would be much more surprised if Dylan Brooks was traded. I think the only way Dylan Brooks gets traded is if like a Ben Simmons or Bradley Beal comes back. And I don't think that's happening for the record. I'm not doing clickbait here. Uh, I, I, I don't see either of those guys becoming Grizzlies. So I don't think Dylan Brooks gets traded. I think they value him in terms of the the climate that they're building there, the culture that they're establishing. You know, Dylan's one of their leaders. Dylan's one of the guys that they depend on in the bad times, the best defender on the team in terms of being willing to take on the toughest assignment. You know, he's willing to take on offensive burden when it's necessary. He has shown the ability to carry that offense at times. So I believe that they value what Dylan Brooks can be long-term more than they do Kyle. I could be off on that and maybe they go in the opposite direction. And I don't think that they don't value Kyle. They clearly do because if they didn't, I would say that Kyle would already be gone. I think that they are understanding of their situation. Like we've been talking about throughout the show. And I believe that they know that Kyle is probably not going to be on the Grizzlies team that competes for an NBA championship three or four years from now. If that's the case, then if somebody's offering a first-round pick for him at the trade deadline, why wouldn't you take that offer? Uh, But maybe they do see him as one of those key pieces, and they keep him around. I think that keeping Kyle – excuse me, keeping Kyle always made more sense than keeping Jonas because of Kyle's versatility. Jonas is a very good basketball player, but he's not nearly as versatile as Kyle is. So could Memphis re-sign Kyle? Yeah, I could see that happening. But I also think that there's a price for acquiring the services of Kyle that the Grizzlies would be willing to hear out more so than Dylan. While we're along the lines of, of roster and, and how, how it's looking and, and how the fit is going to work, uh, I want I, to I bring up a point that you brought up on, your, on the Grizzly Bear Blues article uh, for all the fans. If you guys haven't checked that out, make sure you guys go check that out. Great articles. So it, um, on, on that article, you mentioned uh, several times that you believe that uh, Stephen Adams and Valanciunas are uh, um, you said it a memorial bridge for you know for 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 Triple J for him to allow for him to have that uh that that leap here for him to be able to, the, right. secu- the security blanket that you that you mentioned earlier, I I just I, I wanted to not not necessarily pull back on it but I just I I, I wanted to challenge you on on asking like do you not believe yet in Triple J because I I really like Triple J and I think that just let him go out there let him make his mistakes like that's how he is going to become the best like the best version of himself going out there making all the mistakes and not having a, a Adams or not having a Valentinus in front of him to uh, to disrupt him because I don't know if I can see like an Adams and Triple J four and five situation and no. I also, exactly so I don't want to take away too much 
from Triple J. But then again, Steven Adams, you don't want to just leave him on the bench. Rodden, he's way better than that, much more value than that. So I just kind of wanted to hear as, as to how you would want to play that out with that Triple J and Adams at the four and five. I think I think Jaron starts at the four and Adam starts at the five, but I don't think that's how games end. I think games will end with Jaron at the five. And when I say Steven Adams is the Jonas Valanciunas Memorial Bridge, um, I mean that they're still trying to figure out what Jaron is. Can Jaron be the modern extended big five that they want him to be? He, he has too much foul trouble right now still, and his rebounding is still a question. I think he's gotten better at that but he's still not as good at it as he needs to be. So Steven Adams alleviates the pressure in those two particular ways. He can eat minutes at the five. So can Xavier Tillman. You know, Brandon Clark isn't great at it right now, but in theory, Brandon Clark can play the five some. And there are guys there that can alleviate some of that pressure on Jaron to be the big man in the middle, you know, or not necessarily in the middle, because uh, obviously Jaron is so perimeter-based offensively. Um but there's a lot of things with Jaron that he's still working on because of his injuries, because of his youth, his inexperience. And Steven Adams covers some of that up. So I think that the biggest beneficiary of Jonas Valanciunas being gone is going to be Jaron Jackson Jr. Because now he is that second offensive option behind John Morant. He has to be. You know, it, it shouldn't be Dylan Brooks. Dylan Brooks might try to be that guy some nights. But it needs to be Jaron in terms of them trying to sign him long term and all of those things. So I think that Steven Adams will be the starter at the five. I don't think he'll finish games at the five. If Kyle Anderson's still on the team, I think you're looking at, you know, lineups like Jaw, Desmond Bain, you know, Zaire Williams, Kyle Anderson, and Jaron. You know, I think that could be a closing lineup you'll see and just trying to finish games out that way. And, you know, it may not be Zaire. It could be somebody else. But uh, I see them prioritizing Jaron as the closer at the five and not so much the starter. And it allows for Jaron to stay in the games longer. You know, one of his biggest issues is foul trouble. You want to try to keep that, keep him out of that as much as possible so that he's in a position to bring his versatile offensive and defensive games to those closing moments in close contests. Excellent here, Joe. And what we call it is the clutch talk timeout. And usually I ask, you know, who is the go-to player? And unfortunately, being a Warriors fan, um, I realize, you know, obvious the obvious answer here is John Morant. But in <laughs> my question for you is, what would you what would you like to see uh, in terms of his development? Obviously. We've seen that, you know, with his shot. But what, what is the, his next step as, as becoming a star and, and you know, obvi with the obvious goal of being a superstar and bringing, you know, Memphis, you know, a championship? So what, what would you like to see from his development? I would disagree with you a little bit in terms of his ultimate goal being a superstar. I think John Morant's ultimate goal is to be a champion. And okay. I think that while people will point to his shooting as something that he needs to get better at. And I agree. And I'm sure jaw agrees too, uh, that he needs to be a better three point shooter. I think that he most needs to improve his defense. And I think that it's not fair to ask him to be a Dylan Brooks esque level defender because he's asked to do so much offensively, but given John Morant's frame, you know, he's a six foot three point guard, given his size, his length, um, he shouldn't be one of the worst defenders in the NBA. And that is what statistically John Morant is right now. He is one of the worst defenders in the NBA. If you're going by, you know, there's a couple of different uh, advanced metrics over at um, crashing, the net, uh, crashing the glass, excuse me. 
that say that Jaw is one of the worst defenders in the league. So he needs to make a jump there. I think that he and Jonas Valanciunas got picked on a lot last season on that end of the floor. And because Jonas, as we kind of alluded to earlier, it was all drop coverage all the time. Um, so I, I think that there's some pl- some pros to that and some cons of that, obviously. And Jaw kind of bore the brunt of that in that 1-5 pick and roll game. So you're looking at improvement there because Steven Adams is a better defender on the perimeter, especially than Jonas Valanciunas is. Uh, but I want to see him be a better defender. I want to see him, you know, not just, you know, gamble and play passing lanes. I want to see him be aggressive over top of screens at times. I want to see him stay in front of his man a little bit better, get his hands up a little bit more consistently and, you know, take away some points for possession on the defensive end. And, and that will help the team in terms of winning too. So the popular answer is going to be his shooting and he does need to make that better. I want to see him be a better defender here in year three for him. And I think I think that he'll be able to get there too, um, as far as improving his defense. I mean, he's only in his second or third year in the league. Sure, he's got a little bit more. He's got a little bit more time to develop. But while we're on those lines, though, I did want to ask, and this has become kind of almost like a folklore question. But John Morin versus Zion Williamson, uh, <laughs> I'm sure you prefer John. In your views, who's the better player? I know they're a little bit different, so it's hard to compare. It's not like you know Luca and Trey Young. But. Sure. I think John Morant is, I like John Morant better. I think that he doesn't have the star complex that Zion may have. And again, I don't know Zion. That's not fair. It's, it's all hearsay. And, you know, but you know, there's uh, Zion wants to go to New York. Zion wants to go to New York. You know, all the memes that are coming about, about jaw going to LA are are created by Lakers fans. You know what I mean? (laughs) There's not much smoke with that fire. Um, I think that you look at John Morant and he, had a different come up than Zion did. You know, Zion was that prodigal son. He was that guy that was the star. John Morant was playing in Ox gyms, you know, and discovered by Murray State. You know, he went and played right. at Murray State, you know, in this completely different circumstances. John Morant is, is okay with not being, you know, that, that main guy because he takes it as criticism. You know, he takes it personally and, he, and it drives him. And that's very much Memphis's mentality. You know, he is a very Memphis story uh, coming from South Carolina. So uh, I think that he and the city kind of understand each other in that way, in a way that maybe Zion and New Orleans don't. Uh, So in terms of basketball playing, Zion's a better player. You know, I I don't think it makes sense to try to argue. They obviously both do very different things. Yeah. um, But Zion is uh, just superior. I think that's fair to say. But in terms of fit, I think Jaw makes a heck of a lot more sense for Memphis. And I think that those two stories kind of fit, you know, like a hand in a glove. And I prefer having Jaw on the Grizzlies because of that. You know, like I mentioned yeah. earlier with, uh, with um, uh, Justin, I think. They may not, sorry. Uh, but like I mentioned earlier in the show, um, you know, the, I, I'm interested in the journey. You know what I mean? I, I want to get to know these guys as best I can, obviously, as a fan. You know, I, I, when they win, I want it to mean something because not just because my team won, but because I was invested in the player. Yeah. And I think, John Morant it, yeah. In, yeah, I think John Morant has invested himself in Memphis. And, you know, Memphis is a place where if you love the city, they'll love you back. Yeah. And I think he's already kind of achieved that status going into his third year in the NBA. And, 
you know, it'll make it that much sweeter if and when that uh, level of success comes. Absolutely. Absolutely. No, I mean, it's, it's, it's a polarizing debate that goes back and forth a lot. And I, I genuinely think what Ja does for Memphis, I almost want to say his contributions to Memphis are bigger than what Zion has contributed to New Orleans so far. Uh, granted, Zion has been injured and it's been a little bit of a di- different situation there. And also the Pelicans do have a player like Brandon Ingram that they can rely on. Right. Um, so it's just different scenarios, but I was curious to see how, how, you know, how you'd see it as a, as a Grizzlies fan. So it's perfect. Answer. Sure. Thank oh, you. thanks. And, 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 and thank you for that, Jenner. We all, all us and all the fans wanted to know that. It's Zion or John, man. So <laughs> asking the tough questions. <laughs> so, 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 so look, so look, Joe, uh, this, and this is, this is a topic that I want all of us uh, to, to, to touch and all of us, you know, Junior and Jay Hill. I also, you know, want you guys two cents on this, but uh, so look, Joe, you know, um, triple J, his, his contract is expiring next year. You know, his contract is, is right. over. It is over next year. And honestly, man, like, look, Triple J is a he's a great player. He's a unicorn. He's extremely talented. But, you know, one of the one of the biggest things that we say here on Clutch Talk all the time, and I'll, I'll even I'll even let my, my my brothers go ahead and finish the line for me. But brothers, what is the best type of ability? availability availability <laughs> exactly exactly availability, so that, that that is something that we are always saying over here on clutch talk right and jaron isn't the most available player no since his rookie year he hasn't even played more than 60 games in a single season which can be concerning it, it could be concerning because those were also the same uh the same signs of concern that we were seeing in joel Embiid his first his first couple of years in the league and we see you know joel Embiid's a great player but Every year, he can never get through this season in the playoffs. So, to you, uh, uh, talk to me first about how you feel about Triple J, and uh, can you trust him to get? Can you trust him to get through the entire season? And if when his contract is up, would you be? Would you personally want to offer him less money because of that health issue? You know, I was about to say it kind of worked out for Joel and Beat, right? Um, yeah. it, it, uh, it worked out okay for him. Um, I think that. You know, Jaron Jackson Jr. has the potential to be one of the most unique players in the entire NBA. You could argue he's already there in terms of his ability to defend the rim, shoot three, create off the dribble. You know, he's essentially a big 6'11 wing who plays the role of a big man. Um, So there's not many Jaron Jackson Juniors in the NBA. And, you know, we mentioned earlier the way that you build a team when you're in a small market like Memphis is by, by, you know, the draft and, uh, and trades. So my counter to you guys when it comes to his contract would be if you're not spending that money on Jaron, who are you spending it on? You know, who are you realistically going to bring into Memphis while using Jaron as trade bait? Because you'd have to trade him. You know, it doesn't make sense to let him walk in restricted free agency. Like does Jaron and a bunch of filler and draft picks get you Ben Simmons? Maybe. Uh, but if it does, you know, what does John Ben Simmons look like as a team? You know, I, not that's a good, good question not very right good. I, and i think that that's jaron jackson jr in theory is the perfect big man compliment to john morant a big who can play on the perimeter and do things as a shooter when jaw is most effective attacking the rim and dishing out on dribble penetration so they complement each other so well and i, I think the grizzlies really want jaron to work out and they want him to prove that he can work out. Obviously, they have him in restricted free agency. They can tender him an offer. Um, you know, Jaron's not going anywhere in the immediate future, even if they don't decide to re-sign him this offseason. But they want to see him stay healthy. I agree with your uh, greatest ability being availability. I think that's a very 
fair point. But again, if you're not bringing back Jaron, what are you getting in exchange for that cap space, for that use of draft capital? And if the answer is not as good as Jaron Jackson Jr., then you roll the dice and you hope that, that he works out and stays healthy. But they, they understandably so want to see him do it first before they commit over $100 million to him over four or five years. Is there anybody outside of John Moran who's untouchable to you? Maybe Jaron. Again, okay. does Ben Simmons Depends what you get move back. the needle? Yeah. Probably not. Um, you know, if for some reason – I can't even think of a realistic option, you know, Bradley Beal, but then again, okay. Bradley Beal, 27 years old, like the, or 28, you know, Bradley Beal doesn't necessarily fit the timeline of being that great star next to jaw. So, you know, I don't know that there's a, a player or a name that makes a ton of sense to, to so, move on from Jaron for. So uh, jaw is untouchable. Uh, that's I what I was going to ask. Is he already untouchable? So I, already so. I would not trade okay. John Morant uh, simply because you have him again for restricted free agencies purposes. As long as you keep him happy, you know, you have him under team control for six years. So that that's a, a pretty big, valuable piece to have. Jaron, you have restricted free agency rights on, of course. And then uh, Brandon Clark as well. You know, Brandon Clark was once viewed as an untouchable, depending on some of the folks that I talked to in the league about it. Uh, and he obviously had a down second year, and maybe that's not as necessarily true as it was in the past. I would say Jaw is 100% untouchable. And then, okay. uh, I, again, you can't say 100% because the Bucks came and said, we'll give you Giannis. Yeah, yeah okay, right. I'll take the, you know, one of the greatest talents in the history of the NBA, sure. Um, but realistically, Jaw is untouchable. Jaron is probably untouchable, but for the right deal, I'd listen. And then everybody okay. else beyond that, you know, Desmond Bain is on a great value contract, but would you really not include him in, in a trade to upgrade at that position? I think they would. So outside of Jaw and maybe Jaron, I'm not sure there is an untouchable on the roster, but those are obviously two pretty big names for the Grizzlies. So I know you brought up Ben Simmons, and I know that, you know, if somehow a deal were to be possible for Ben Simmons involved, involving Triple J, that Jaw and Ben Simmons team looks a little weird, but for other realistic t- targets, perhaps a Pascal Siakam, would you be comfortable moving Jammer? Would you be comfortable moving Jaron Jackson for for a player like Pascal Siakam? <laughs> not really. Um, <laughs> again, because it, it's not a knock on Pascal Siakam. Like I'm not the grizzly, the irrational Grizzlies fan saying mm-hmm. Jaron Jackson Jr. is better than Siakam. Like that's not true. Obviously, Siakam is better right now, but it doesn't fit their timeline. You know, I just know what their timeline is. I know that they are not trying to get better right now. Would Siakam make them better right now? Yes. Would Ben Simmons, even if it included Jaron, make them better right now? I think it would because Simmons is such a good defender and he can do so many things in terms of getting to the basket. But the long-term fit doesn't make a ton of sense with either of those guys in terms of what they're trying to do. I think the best bet is to try to get Jaron Jackson Jr. right and see what he can be when he is available or if he's even able to be available. If he gets hurt again, then the answer kind of comes naturally, right? And they move on just because they can't count on him to stay healthy. But if he stays healthy and he has a most improved player-esque kind of season, which I think he's capable of when healthy, then, you know, you shell out the max contract and you think you've got your two stars going into a pretty big 2022 offseason where the Memphis Grizzlies are going to be able to do a lot of different things 
uh, because of expiring contracts, the three first round picks they have in that draft, you know, next offseason could be a pretty busy one, even more busy than this one has been for Memphis. And this has been a pretty busy one. Yeah. Th- so, th- go, go, go ahead, Jahil. Go ahead. Oh, yeah. So, so uh, real quick, Joe. So just in terms of uh, 20, uh, 2021, your uh, 22 next so upcoming season, right? Uh, your Taylor Jenkins, who, who do you have, you know, in your starting lineup? You met, uh, you mentioned Brandon Park. Uh, and, and that was someone I had a question about, you know, if, you know, you had talked about Jaron Jackson playing at the five, would he slide into the four? What does your starting lineup look like for next year and, and kind of the second unit? Well, like I said, I think that you can have a, a starting Steven Adams without a finishing Steven Adams, if that makes sense. So I don't know that Steven Adams closes games for Memphis, but I think he will start them. So I would say it's going to be John Morant. I hope it's Desmond Bain because I'm a Desmond Bain guy. If it's the Anthony Melton, I understand that too. That would be cool. But I'm thinking it'll be Desmond Bain, uh, given the way Taylor Jenkins has done his lineups in the past. Uh, Dylan Brooks at the three. I think it'll be Jaron Jackson at the four. And then Steven Adams at the five. And that, that's how I think it'll be in terms of starters. Brandon Clark will obviously be a big piece of that. The Anthony Melton will be a part of that. Uh, Kyle Anderson will be a part of that. And again, those are three guys coming off the bench. Like That, that could be a pretty strong bench unit. For the Grizzlies. We haven't talked about Tyus Jones who is probably very much on the trade block right now, but he's still on the roster as we have this conversation. So if Tyus Jones is still around, you know, that's Tyus Jones, DeAnthony Melton, Kyle Anderson, Brandon Clark. They're still pretty deep, even after all the trades they've made and all the transactions and, and moves they've done. You know, Zaire Williams, you can make a realistic argument, is the 11th best player on this team. And that's okay. You know, he doesn't need to be better than that right now. Uh, Memphis has put themselves in a position where they can stay competitive in the here and now and still be able to develop a player like Williams, who theoretically brings that ceiling that much higher over the next few seasons. So I think the starters will be Morant, Bain, Brooks, Jackson, and Adams. I don't think that's how games will close, but I do think that's how they'll begin. So what's your closing lineup? I mean, I guess it does depend on the game, but in general. Sure. I think in general you replace Adams with Anderson. That's probably okay. what I would do. So you got – And then Morant, move Triple Bain, J to the five. Brooks. Yeah, Anderson at the four and Jaron at the five. And that gives you more playmaking. Anderson showed a much improved ability to shoot the three last year. So, again, you got Bain, you got Brooks, you got – arguably all four of those five guys can shoot the three. And then you got John Morant, who you hope can shoot the three. But you've got four guys on the perimeter that can shoot threes. John Morant creating off dribble penetration and on drive and dish kickouts the guys in the corner and all above the break you know that that's a pretty effective offense so uh, I'm I'm thinking that's that'll be how they close okay. uh, they'll start with Adams I would imagine but they'll finish out I would hope with Anderson because he's one of their better players and that yeah. gives them a lot of versatility especially in the front court yeah Absolutely. I, I know I, you know John I really like your your starting lineup and, and your ending lineup uh, but 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 you know here, Joe. As we as we start to wrap it up here, uh, sure. some some so, so, you know some questions that we like to ask here at the end is you know barring barring injury, you know we can't we we, we can't call for you know injuries. We can't we don't know how that's going to happen. Hopefully we don't have another crazy season like like the COVID season last right. year. But barring all that, if you guys have a healthy team, where do you think the Grizzlies finish? And then how deep do you guys go in the playoffs if you do make the playoffs? I think they'll finish right around where they did this past season. I think they'll be in the ninth and 10th seed conversation. I think they'll make the play in. 
I just think this year they'll lose. You know, the Pelicans will be a little bit more desperate if they're in the seven or eight seed spot. You'll have one of those teams like Portland or like Dallas that'll be in that seven seed conversation. And, you know, they're going to be better than the Grizzlies. So I think that Memphis will make the play in again. I just think they'll lose this time. And there are going to be Grizzlies fans that lose their minds and they're going to think that's terrible and awful. And, oh, my God, they're going backwards. But progress isn't linear. You know, you can get better as a franchise and get better as a team and not have the same record or not have the same playoff positioning. And I think they're committed to that vision. You know, I thought that maybe they would push in some chips a little bit more with their overachieving of last season. That's not the case. They've gone in the opposite direction. You could argue they've gotten worse. Um, I don't know that they've gotten worse. I just don't think they've gotten better. And as the other teams in the West, especially the Pelicans, actively do their best to improve, naturally, you know, you're taking that outward improvement from New Orleans and you're trying to match that up with the internal development of the Grizzlies. If the Grizzlies are going to make the playoffs, they need Jaron Jackson Jr. to be almost an all-star level player. I'm not sure he's capable of doing that just yet, but I do think he will be better. I think Memphis will continue to compete in the same manner that they have the last couple of years. I just think that this time, instead of winning the play-in like they did in 2020-2021, they'll, they'll lose. I could see them losing to the Pelicans or somebody along those lines, and they'll head into the 2022 offseason with uh, similar questions to the ones we're asking now just in terms of how they're going to use that cap space, how they're going to use those draft picks. It's highly unlikely they draft at all three spots. You know, they're going to be busy again. But in terms of season predictions, as they come out, I think I'm going to predict Memphis to be the 9 or 10 seed, but uh, to lose in the play-in. Okay, okay. And then and then, uh, last question that we like to ask here is, is, Joe, as a Grizzlies fan, if you could give us one word or one phrase to describe both about how you felt about last season and then one word or one phrase to describe about how you feel about this, uh, this upcoming season, 2021-2022. Um, pleasant surprise for 2020-2021. I really enjoyed that play-in run. I really enjoyed the series against the Jazz. Extremely valuable playoff experience and postseason experience for such a young team. Um, I think for this coming season, it, it needs to be, you know, delayed gratification is probably the phrase that fans are going to have to get used to. You know, they are not interested in cashing in any chips, any draft picks, any cap draft cap, or uh, salary cap space in the name of immediate improvement. They are concerned about getting better in the long term, at least according to their vision of what the long term looks like. And that can be frustrating for fans. But I do think that they have an idea of where they're going and what they want to be years from now. And they are not going to deviate from that path. So it might hurt your immediate enjoyment of postseason basketball if you're a Grizzlies fan. But I do think in the long run, it'll be valuable and successful as long as the team can maintain that vision. Okay. Okay. And, and, and Joe here, one thing that we like to do here at Clutch Talk, uh, we like to do a little closing segment here called, called guess the player. This is how guess the player works. So uh, I have three players here listed, uh, uh, you, Jay Hill and junior, you guys each have two guests to two guesses to, to, to guess the player that I'm talking about. I have here a couple of accolades that they did things that they were known for. And this just, just things that they did. Uh, you're, you're ready to run some guest the player for this closing segment. Oh, my goodness. You're putting me on the spot here. But, yeah, let's do it. All right. Let's do it. Let's do it here, guys. All right. So the first player we have here, this guy is a two-time NBA MVP, a 
one-time NBA steals leader, a four-time All-NBA first-team member, a one-time skills challenge champion, a franchise leader in points and assists, a seven-time All-Star. Okay. He's a four-time NBA free throw percentage. Steve Nash. No, it's not Steve Nash. Is this Steph Curry? It is Steph Curry. There Ooh. you go. There you go. There you go, Jay Hill. How you gonna mess that up? You and Jay, you wow. Jay Hill can be messing that up. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> all right, all right, here we go. All right, next player we got yeah. here. This guy, he played for eight teams. He is Mr. Florida. He's a one-time slam dunk champion. Okay. He's a two-time gold medalist. He's a one-time rookie of the year. Vince Carter? Yes, sir. Uh, <laughs> okay, Jerry. I was close yes. to Vince Carter. I needed one more to guess Vince uh, Carter. That, that was good. Well done. Okay. Thank All you. right. All right. Let's go ahead. Uh, 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 let's go ahead and get, get into this last player. This guy. He brought the Eurostep to the NBA. Manu Ginobili? Manu yes, Ginobili. Ah. <laughs> he started off with that. That was a great hint to start I with. I started off with the first one. <laughs> started off, man. man. Okay, man. This, this is a good place for us to go ahead and hear and, and, and wrap it up. Joe, man, we, we really, all of us, man, from the bottom of my heart, just want to thank you very much for coming on here and, and talking some Grizzlies with us, man. Like, you really bless us. You really uh, a lot of knowledge, a lot of knowledge. And for all the fans, man, I, I want to make sure that all the fans, are you guys listening on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, YouTube, you guys go check out Joe and his articles, man. So, uh, so Joe, you got any last words to say before we check off here? I appreciate you guys for having me. You know, it, I've, I've been doing this a long time now, and it's really cool to, to see younger guys that are really passionate about it and that sort of thing. And, you know, I, I'm, uh, I'm very happy for y'all to have this show. And anything you guys ever need, you let me know. I'm happy to do it. And I'm grateful to still be turning along as the old blogger mule that I like to call myself over at, uh, at grizzlybearblues.com. We have a great team. And hopefully whenever folks want to learn something about the Memphis Grizzlies, they'll head to grizzlybearblues.com. Absolutely. Thank you, Joe. Appreciate you Absolutely. coming on. Thanks. It was a lot of fun to have you on here. Very knowledgeable guy. And looking forward to next time. Thank you, guys. Yeah, thank Absolutely. You, Joe. Anything- Appreciate it. Anything y'all need, you let me know. Happy to do it. Thank you, man. We out of y'all. Clutch talk out.